0: Chapter 20 of Esther Reed's Namesake. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed's Namesake by Pansy. Chapter 20 Home. The day was warm even for July in that western prairie town, where the sun poured out its zeal untempered by shade trees, and where the residents told one another hopefully that July was generally their warm month until July was past, then they shifted it to August, sometimes to September. Breathless weather though it was, Mrs. Randall was ironing. Certain household deficiencies made prompt ironing a necessity whenever there were clothes in the wash without regard to convenience. Mrs. Randall was a small, pale woman. At least, she was pale ordinarily, but her present occupation had flushed her face and set beads of perspiration on her forehead. As a rule, her face was sweet with a calm that suggested cheer. For hedged about as her life was and had been for many years with daily burdens as well as cares and responsibilities she had learned long ago st paul's invaluable lesson in whatsoever state she was therewith to be content even happy this as a rule but on this day there was a new look on her face that made her daughter esther who was washing the baking dishes glance at her mother from time to time with a shadow of anxiety "'once she spoke her thought. "'Mommy, dear, I do wish you would let that ironing wait for me. "'I shall be through here in a few minutes, "'and ironing is such warm work for you. "'Don't you feel well this morning, mother?' "'Why, yes, dear, I feel much as usual. "'If I don't look so, you must lay it to this wrapper.' "'As she spoke, she glanced down at herself and laughed. "'The wrapper had come in a home mission box "'and was of an ugly color and several sizes too large for her, "'besides never having fitted any one well. "'Is it the wrapper, Mommy, that made you give such a long-drawn sigh just now?' "'Did I? That was very foolish. "'I was probably thinking at the moment of nothing more serious than this tablecloth, "'which has a real hole in it this time. "'I am wondering how I can contrive to patch it, with no material in the least like it. "'Things will wear out so, Esther.' I know, but never mind, when I get that school which is waiting for me, and have earned money enough for a mattress and springs for your bed, and a new cook-stove, with an oil range for Julys and Augusts, and new shades, or perhaps even blinds for the windows, and a few little matters of that kind, I shall launch out on tablecloths. I shouldn't wonder if I bought two new ones at once sometime. Think of that. But the mother did not laugh, as she generally did, over Esther's nonsense. Instead, the faint, forced smile on her tired face made one think of tears. The coming of a wagon with what the driver called a snag of wood created a diversion at that moment, for Esther must go and show where it was to be placed, and chat a few minutes with the young fellow who was to place it. He was a member of her father's church, and liked to receive proper attention from the minister's family. Esther Randall had now been at home for a little more than a year, and had not only slipped into her former place in the household and the community, but had assumed new duties and responsibilities, such as she would have once shrunk from as impossible. Of course, among her father's people, she was more of a power than ever, and what she had become in the home, neither father nor mother could have put into words. The years had set lightly upon Esther. Although she was now nearly twenty-three, She looked very little older than the girl of eighteen who had suddenly flitted from home mission work to a college five or six hundred miles distant, and had not returned until the four years' course was completed. Had this arrangement been so much as thought of at the first, parents and daughter would have drawn back from it as an impossibly long separation. But the years had planned it for them, each time hedging with increasing difficulties the home-going, "'and making more and more plain the duty of remaining. "'And always Esther had remained with the victors, "'growing more attached to them, "'more apparently one of their number with each passing year, "'living through with them once and again "'the duties and anxieties connected with prolonged illness, "'going down with them in sympathy and service "'into the depths of sorrow, "'when the only son of the home went out gaily one morning "'for a trial trip with his friend's new horse, and within the hour was brought back a lifeless body. This was near the close of her second college year, and at a time when strenuous efforts were being made in the home missionary's family to secure the funds for Esther's homecoming. It was she who wrote to them that Mrs. Victor was much prostrated by their trouble, and the doctor as well as the family seemed to be anxious about her. Then, of course, they were all sad and lonely, and shrank particularly from having a stranger come among them just now. That they certainly had never needed help more sorely. Mrs. Victor simply was not able to have any responsibility. Did father think, did they both feel, that perhaps she ought to stay? The home missionary and his wife had been sad that morning over an anxiety that they could not hide from each other. Sacrifice and contrive as they would and had, they were still eleven dollars short of the sum that Esther's homecoming would need. And it might as well be said the father, then he stopped. Of what use to say to his wife that it might as well be eleven hundred dollars? He almost mentioned it though at family worship. At least he laid bare before his lord their poverty and their longing and asked not for money but that their way might be made plain. And then just as they arose from their knees had come Esther's letter and mrs victor's need. When he had read the letter aloud for the second time, The father looked at the mother, and she brushed away the tears, and smiled as she said. Does that look mean that here is the answer to our prayer? But Aunt Sarah had not so considered it. She grumbled distinctly. Things had come to a pretty pass when a niece of hers and a granddaughter of Benedict Bradford not only had to go out to service, but could not afford to come home in vacations, as all the girls she had ever heard of who had homes to come to had always done but evidently Esther did not care anything about appearances. She was weaned from home, that was plainly to be seen. Indeed, Aunt Sarah had foreseen such a result from the first. Esther wanted to stay. There were probably plenty of boys who were going to spend their vacations lounging about, having fun, and Esther was uncommonly fond of boys' society, she had always noticed that. What her father and mother were thinking about to allow her to stay on there all summer with total strangers, she could not imagine. What did Helen think her parents would have said to her if she had proposed to spend the vacation away from home when she was at boarding school? This question seemed so utterly absurd in view of the contrast between her circumstances and surroundings as a schoolgirl and her daughters, that the sore-hearted mother, who missed Esther at times almost more than she felt she could endure, and who was at that moment very near to tears, experienced the reaction that comes sometimes to such natures as hers, and laughed immoderately. "'What on earth are you laughing at?' said the indignant aunt. "'I declare, Helen, you grow queer every day of your life. I used to think you had as sensitive feelings as the rest of us.' "'but half a lifetime spent with such a matter-of-fact man as Spencer "'has had its effect on you, I suppose. "'But since Esther is an only child, "'I shouldn't think you could be so easily weaned from her. "'It is a blessing that mother can't see you,' she added, in growing indignation, "'as with every added phrase Mrs. Randall's half-hysteric laughter increased. "'She wouldn't know you.' "'But Esther had stayed for another year,' and the modest wages that the Victors had been able to pay for her vacation work had assisted materially in the winter's expenses, which was particularly fortunate, for about that time there had been a cut in the salaries of home missionaries, and what had required careful economy before called for pinching. When the third vacation time loomed in the near distance, Catherine Victor was planning to be married on the 4th of September, and by that time no member of the Victor family believed it possible to get ready for a wedding without Esther's help. There was also another reason for her staying that appealed to Esther almost as much as her own straitened purse, and that was the straitened circumstances of the Victor's. Never other than perplexed as to how the two ends could be made to meet, certain losses, combined with unexpected business changes, had made their problem more difficult this year than ever before." The truth is, Mommy, wrote Esther, they cannot afford to do without me. That looks horribly egotistical, doesn't it, written out? But what I mean is that they cannot get anyone for the summer who would take my place without paying very high wages, and that they simply cannot do. Besides, though I say it as shouldn't, Mommy, there is no hired person to be had who could at all take my place. How could it be expected? I have been with them as one of the family for three years, and besides, didn't you bring me up and teach me how to work? It will not be too hard for me, because, when the special stress comes, I can have my beloved Melindy to help me. Think of that. Mother and father, dear, I don't tell you what it is to me to think about doing without you some more, and writing as though it were already a settled matter. But you see, I know you both so well, that I am as sure as though I heard you say it, that you will see it to be my duty. Of course I say nothing about the saving of money for us, because I truly don't believe that would count. I think I could almost beg my way home from door to door, if that were all that was in the way. It seemed incredible when they thought of it, but they did without her for another year. Esther is right,' the mother had said. "'We couldn't do it simply to save the money.' but that poor woman does seem to need her. This was after they had read the appeal from Mrs. Victor, enclosed in Esther's letter, but Aunt Sarah sniffed. They'd better adopt her, she said. She seems to belong more to them than to you. I am going to write her and ask her if she will condescend to work for her own family next summer, provided we can scrape up two dollars a week for wages. I guess if she knew how much you needed help, she would be more eager to work at home. Mrs. Randall answered only with a patient smile. She understood Aunt Sarah, and knew that her tongue was always worse than her acts. There was no fear that she would write to Esther that which would trouble her. She was merely indulging in the habit of a lifetime and saying spiteful-sounding words that had little or no meaning. And then had come the last college year, with commencement week drawing perilously near. The week for which all these years have been lived, Esther wrote gaily, and said not a word about perplexities. But the mother knew that there were perplexities. The question, which had been a more or less anxious one every year since her daughter emerged from childhood, wherewithal shall she be clothed, took on unusual importance, at least in the mother's eyes, as the intervening weeks lessened. She was even guilty of laying awake nights, after busy and exhausting days, trying to contrive some way of getting for Esther the graduation robes that she knew were needed. Missionary boxes, which are alternately the hope and despair of home missionaries, this family, with their quarter-century of experience, knew too much about to build on. "'I don't see, little mother, but you and I are shut up to prayer,' the missionary said, when his wife, who had waited for Aunt Sarah to leave the room, asked if he had thought of anything yet." Haven't you noticed, Helen, how many times, especially of late years, when we reach an emergency, the way out does not appear until, humanly speaking, there isn't another way to consider? It happened so again. That day's mail brought a letter heralding a coming box, not from any church, but from their very own. Mother has been working at the quilt and the undergarments and the socks for Spencer for a long, long time, wrote Sister Mary, and as for me... It seemed as though I should never get the set embroidered for Esther. I began them when she first went to college. But I have so little time for such work these days, and my hand has lost some of its cunning, I am afraid, but I enjoyed making them. Then last week we had a visitor. I must write you about her as soon as I get time. It was Cousin Celia Westover. Do you remember Cousin Celia? She was a delicate, pretty girl.' Now she is a stout, gray-haired, rather homely woman with a daughter the age of yours. They are in mourning for the only son, and so unreconciled to his death that it is sad to hear her talk about it. I must tell you what a strange visit we had, just as soon as I can get time. She came only for a day. She said she had a feeling that perhaps Aunt Priscilla could help her, and Mother could, you know, if anybody in this world could. I think she went away a little comforted. She saw us at work over the things, and we told her about the box and about Esther. She remembered you as a sweet little thing, and thought it was so queer that you had a grown-up daughter. She did not seem to remember that you are a year or two older than she. Then she sighed over her daughter's mourning, said, Poor Florence hated black and did not look well in it. Yet she was so crushed, poor child, that she would not even wear white dresses well the week after she reached home came a box to us by express the contents to be sent to you in memory of the nice quarrels we used to have together in the dear old days she said when she was here that the week she visited us you and she differed about everything under the sun but i don't remember anything about it do you the box i rejoice over because i think there are some things in it that esther will like that white dress for instance it isn't new to be sure but it is very nice-looking, and so long that I think Esther can hem it up where it is frayed. If I had her measure, I would fix it for her, as I suppose she gets little time to sew. It ought to be fixed before it is laundered, which is the reason why I didn't do it up. But mother says if you have not lost the skill you had when a girl, you wouldn't thank any of us to attend to that part. She never worries of telling how beautifully you ironed and mended a flimsy muslin for that wild little second girl we had once emma her name was do you remember her she had cried over not being able to go to a party among her mates because she had no dress to wear and mother said you made her old muslin look as though it was just out of the store you were a very remarkable girl my dear helen did you know it over this part of the letter the home missionary and his wife laughed together and then the husband kissed from the wife's faded face a stray tear. That dear mother, how long it was since she had seen her youngest child, and how sweet it was that she liked to talk about her, and to linger tenderly over the uneventful doings of her girlhood. Was she ever in the flesh to rest eyes upon her youngest born again? End of chapter 20. Recording by Tricia G.